Good night, Joe. I wish you every happiness. Congratulations. Oh, thank you, Ted. I guess Mary and I will be doing this pretty soon, too. No, Mary! <laughs> well, good night. Come on, Ted. Good night, Joe. Isn't that lovely, Joe? They're going to be married. You want to know something? I could take her right away from them if I wanted to, but I don't want it. Because why? Because I ain't going to end up this time and somebody call me yellow because I ain't got any dough. What are you talking about? Plenty. I've been all through that. Joe, are you in love with Mary? I was for 22 years, and she didn't appreciate it. Joe! Well, I... I... Didn't I tell those fellas in there to sing something happy? What's the matter with you? What's, what's the idea of singing all them old songs? What do you want us to sing? Sing something lively, something with a little pep in it. Well, we know my old Kentucky something. home. Oh, no, no. Something that's got some life in it. Like Tony's wife. Tony's, Tony's wife. wife? Yeah. Who is she? it been since you had yourself a big hot screaming ear full of forgotten horrors <laughs> well that's too long pull in close now for a crepuscular half hour or so of the forgotten horrors podcast with your hosts john woolley michael h price and my own self wolf brand jack <laughs> And thank you very much, Michael H. Price and Wolf Brand Jack, and welcome everybody to another Forgotten Horrors podcast. Very glad to have you along. I'm John Woolley, and that's my cohort, Michael H. Price, right here, the originator of the uh, Forgotten Horrors series of books, and uh, very glad to be, well, to be looking at a film this evening that is... Um, a little bit different. And Michael, you, you know, let's give credit where credit's due. You're the one that brought this up and picked this one. I did not know about this picture. Way off the beaten path. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I think it's fairly plain that we have a, a very broad definition here of what constitutes a horror picture. One would think. Yeah. Yeah. And although the original forgotten horrors concept was to concentrate on independent studios, occasionally we uh, get into the major leagues, uh, on grounds mainly of obscurity and stories of interest, uh, I am very, very much predisposed to, to take an interest in uh, alternate reality stories, mm -hmm. uh, of which probably the best known is uh, Frank Capra's picture, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm which is often dismissed as a feel-good Christmas story, but in fact is a lot darker and deeper than that. Yes. Um, I, I think one might even call Turn Back the Clock sort of an It's a Wonderful Life before Capra got the idea. 
well before Capra. And also there seems to be some, some sort of uh, little passing our town kinds of feeling in it. You Definitely know, an our town kind of feeling. Uh, it's the town mouse versus the country mouse, mm -hmm. a classic uh, ancient fable. And it, uh, it also anticipates uh, another alternate reality picture called Repeat Performance from the 40s. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, honestly, any picture Lee Tracy appears in, I'm with it. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, the our town element that I found in it, I think, is that whole idea of a celebration of the mundane, or you really don't know, as Joni Mitchell would say, don't it always seem to go, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah. Um, and in this particular picture, I know Joey, our producer, likes for us to, uh, to do a, a brief synopsis. So um, <laughs> Joe and Mary, uh, who are played by, uh, by Lee Tracy and Mae Clark, uh, have a cigar store and selling Brimo cigars. I couldn't help, but uh, you know, <laughs> I know you're a big Cremo fan. In fact, you're a record label and your publishing house named Cremo and good old Cremo cigars. The, and, uh, I, and obviously <laughs> Brimo is a, is a, a, a spinoff of that, but they have a, a cigar store. They're kind of barely making it. This is the depression, 1933. Yeah. And, uh, and Joe's old pal, uh, Ted comes in and uh, Ted has a lot of money, and he's married, and because he's married to uh, Elvina, I think her name was. Yes. And uh, and Elvina had a lot of money, and so Ted is just sort of big dogging it a little bit, and and uh, he, and wants uh, wants Joe, the cigar store owner, to to uh, invest in some stocks that he has. Well, Mary doesn't like that; she's been very practical, and they have, and Joey and I have talked about this. They have a. A, uh, a an argument that is really so um i guess familiar or 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 it's just very close to the bone it's 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 uh uh what's the term i'm looking for it's mm -hmm. it's very intimate okay uh, yeah. very intimate to the point i mean there it's 1933 so they're not in separate beds and she's on in the bed and he's sort of standing over her or leaning over her and it's it's a very intimate almost a blushingly kind of intimate scene mm -hmm. and uh and then he goes out to get drunk gets hit by a car and uh and ends up living out the life that he told her he would want to live in other words to marry uh elvina and uh, and run in rich people's circles, mm -hmm. and uh, that's essentially the plot. Uh, at the very end of it, uh, it's very nightmarish uh, before he snaps back into reality with the phalanxes of cops uh, running after him, shooting at him. It's very very strange and and surreal, and um, and then it's and then it all gets resolved. But there's that there's that intimacy in this picture that um, I don't think they could have gotten away with or wouldn't have done, you know, once the, uh, once the production code really took hold in the next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The 1934 arrival of the Legion of Decency of a repressive mm -hmm. church-based organization. Right. Uh, basically it was Catholics versus Jewish Hollywood. That's right. Uh, put on the, uh, put on, put the brakes on a lot of that, uh, frank openness that Hollywood had pretty well perfected as a storytelling device. Uh, the, the naturalism uh, 
kind of gave way to a, a feel-good fantasy mm -hmm. attitude. And uh, no, this picture could not have been made the following year. No, it's a fantasy, but it's not a feel-good fantasy, is oh, it? Oh, my goodness. It, uh, it has a hopeful ending, not a happy ending. Right. And a, uh, and a confrontational, uh, as you say, intimacy that uh, it's like, whoa, am I window peeking on somebody here? Exactly. Yeah. Decidedly, the, uh, the combination of Lee Tracy and May Clark is inspired. Yes, it is. Uh, the, the pairing of Otto Kruger and Peggy Shannon uh, as the wealthier friends mm -hmm. uh, matches. It, it counterbalances. One counterbalances the other. And uh, it's always nice to see Lee Tracy break type. Uh, he was one of the great old school tough guys of early Hollywood. And to see him playing a character uh, who is almost painfully vulnerable uh, really puts an edge on the picture. Yeah, I think really you think about him as Hildy Johnson uh, style guy, the front page, uh, yep. wisecracking newspaper guy, fast talking, wisecracking, cynical, and was actually the star of the, of the stage play. He didn't do the movie, but he was the star of the stage play, the front page, which incidentally was co-written of course by Ben Hecht, who, who co-wrote uh, this film. Who had a hand in this film. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, I, Joey and I watched this together, uh, our producer engineer, Joey Hambrick. And, um, one of the things that it seems that this was supposed to be was at least partially a comedy. And are we, were we correct in, in thinking that Michael? There's a, there are elements of what would come to be known as screwball comedy. In it. Yes. Yeah. But it's not a situation comedy. Uh, no. it, uh, it's it's a, almost a situational tragedy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The uh, uh, Ben Hecht could swing many ways. Oh man! Hilarious, bracing, sobering, shocking. Uh, anybody that can go from the front page to well, for example, the Spectre of the Rose. Mm -hmm. Which is like, which is like, uh, my late partner George Turner uh, once referred to the Spectre of the Rose as the real red shoes. Oh wow, wow! Uh, it, it, that's the that's the kind of uh, journalist, playwright, filmmaker, uh, incredible talent. He 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 carried himself as kind of a high roller along Broadway, but he was much more than a a uh, glamour artist. Yeah, and he made a lot of money in, in, in Hollywood. He's the one, uh, uh, is it, uh, how, how do you say Joseph, is it Man Mankiewicz's? Mankiewicz, uh-huh. Uh -huh. He's the one that Joseph Mankiewicz wrote from Hollywood in that famous, uh, that famous letter where he said, uh, there's millions to be made out here and your only competition is idiots. Don't let this get around. And that's when ben, that's when Ben Hecht went from New York to L.A. And in fact, he was one of the guys. Did he not do a polish? If I'm if I'm rumoring right, he did a polish on Gone with the Wind for Selznick. He worked on many pictures without credit. He did receive screen credit for a Turn Back the Clock, but he seems to have forgotten it. If you go to his autobiography, which is called A Child of the Century, mm -hmm. uh, he 
overlooks a lot of high points of his career. And I think this, this one little picture, uh, forgotten though it may be, is essential hecht. Well, his co-writer on this was also the director, a guy named uh, uh, Edgar Selwyn. And, and researching him, I, I found a, a story that sounds almost too good to really have happened. Mm-hmm. But uh, Selwyn had gone to Chicago, the story goes, and he was trying to break in and get some stock companies and was just starving to death. And finally, he decided he'd end it all, and he jumped in the river. But it was so cold that instead of jumping in the river, he had ice. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't drown himself. And so he got up off the ice and he clambered to the shore where he was stuck in the back by a holdup man's gun who mm-hmm. said, your money or your life. <laughs> and Selwyn said, well, take my life. And the gunman was so taken aback that they started visiting. And as the story goes, went to a pawn shop sold the gun and split the money. Whoa. <laughs> well, if it's not true, it ought to be. It's, it's ought to be. It ought to be true. And Selwyn started in movies in 1912. He'd been around, he was around for, for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, and this was uh, probably, he didn't do, he directed maybe eight or nine pictures as a more of a screenwriter and, and a playwright. He kept returning to the stage more mm-hmm. than anything else. But, you know, you look at, I'll tell you one of the things that you see in this picture there's a whole lot of alcohol in it. Oh, yeah. You know, Lee Tracy is almost embarrassingly, uh, his character is almost embarrassingly drunk a couple of times in this. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, I never will forget that order to charge. We spread out 10 feet between each soldier and started up that hill with Teddy Leadman. Well, what, what, what hill was that? San Juan, sir. We held our fire for the first 10 minutes. So you were in the war too, huh? I was indeed, Mr. Gimbley. Me too. I was at San Mahil. What's the matter with you, Joe? You weren't in the war. (laughs) You were too young. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, they're laughing at you. I wasn't in the war. (laughs) Go on, buddy. Tell them them what we did in the Argonne there. Tell them about the Germans coming through those woods. Germans? Why, we never had any war with Germany. What? Certainly we had a war with... Don't you remember those machine guns and that liquid fire and a hundred million airplanes overhead spitting down on us? Once uh, in the the part where he goes into his alternate life and he he marries uh, the uh, Peggy Shannon character and just gets absolutely molared at the wedding. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's uncomfortable to watch. And I don't know if in 33, given the fact of prohibition and everything, that that was supposed to be humorous. Uh, it hasn't come down to us that way at this point. I don't know. The, the, the funny drunk was a staple of old Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder if the audience thought it was funny or if the filmmakers thought it was funny. Well, that's a good point. You know, Ben Hecht had been known to, to lift a few, too. Uh, he and his, his frequent partner, writing partner and friend, Charles McCarthy, the, the, Charles MacArthur, that is, not Charlie McCarthy, Charles <laughs> MacArthur that did the front page. You know, they, they drank a bit. They were old newspaper men. And Lee Tracy drank a bit. As a matter of fact, it was probably his drinking that kept him from being uh, any bigger than he was, you know, he was, uh, there's that story about how he was, he was just a wild spirit and, yep. uh, down in Mexico city shooting a film from MGM. He was, had an MGM contract. This is an MGM film. 
and he's shooting a thing called Viva Via, which has oh. been, been hectored written. And uh, apparently, this behaved so badly that uh, MGM dropped him because of a morals, uh, a morals complaint. <laughs> and he never really, that's 1935, a couple of years after a turn back the clock. Mm-hmm. And he never really regained his, uh, his momentum after but that. Really, but he kept that personality. I have, uh, I have much later radio uh, broadcast discs featuring Lee Tracy. Really? Radio dramas. And he's in command. This is as late as 1947 through about 1950. Well, good. And he won an Academy Award, of course, very late in his life, too, as uh-huh. a supporting actor. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, it's a wonderful cast all along. Of course, the, 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 probably the deepest, although not essential, connection with the larger Forgotten Horrors canon is Peggy Shannon. Yep. Uh, who uh, was the lead uh, other woman that year in one of the very earliest disaster films, Deluge. Yes. From 1933. Yeah. Uh, and she also has a, a, a standout role in uh, a wonderful little uh, poverty row picture called Devil's Mate mm-hmm. uh, that same year from Monogram Pictures. And so you're going to see Peggy Shannon showing up in, in a lot of the uh, a lot of the pictures of uh, Forgotten Horrors uh, from oh say roughly 1930 on into the 1940s. Well, and she was a pretty hard drinker, uh, uh, like Lee Tracy, and she died very young. I mean, she died, she died young, and, and what a terrible loss. But, I mean, uh, you can catch Peggy Shannon in, in an early Perry Mason film. Mm-hmm. One of the, and, and in one of the great lost universal uh, horror fantasies, Nightlife of the Gods. Yes, yes. Ian Smith's uh, outrageous novel about... Uh, about revived uh, ancient Grecian Roman gods, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 what happens? Uh, what happens when they are accidentally brought to life in the modern day? And that is a lost film, isn't it? There's no prints survive. There are surviving prints, however, they are uh, embargoed by the estate of Ben. Uh, I'm sorry, I almost said Ben Heck of Thorne Smith, the author. Oh yes, they are the writer. Sure, yeah, the novelist. Well, I, you know, also, if you want to find uh, connections to, to forgotten horrors and horror films, you know, Lee Tracy, keep in mind, he was the male lead in Dr. X. Dr. X, oh, yeah, yeah. And Faye Ray. Synthetic flesh. Yeah, and Mae Clark was Victor Frankenstein's bride in Frankenstein. Yeah, boy. As well as, of course, the, everyone remembers her as that, and also as the woman who got, who James Cagney hit with the grapefruit, <laughs> in the on uh, the same year as, as Frankenstein, 1931, in Public Enemy. You know, a lot of times people kind of forget that the female lead in Public Enemy was, in fact, Jean Harlow. Uh, but Mae Clark, everybody remembers because there's that scene at the breakfast table in pre-code uh, Hollywood where where, uh, where Cagney just, uh, just pushes a grapefruit right in her, right in her kisser. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it, but, you know, but both Lee Tracy... I don't want to make too much of this, but both Lee Tracy and Peggy Shannon died of alcohol-related uh, alcohol-related ailments, and Peggy Shannon very young. And the, you think about that, and that puts a little bit of a twist on all of the the alcohol that's in this picture. Now, a lot of times, if we we watch films, especially uh, the Prohibition era films, yeah. they are just 
floating in a sea of alcohol. <laughs> and this fic, this film is, is that way too, I think. Um, it's just, it's got, it's, it's alcohol fueled in a lot of ways. In many ways, you're right. And it's, uh, it's a, a picture that works on many different levels. Uh, I, I would certainly recommend this picture to anyone who might believe that It's a Wonderful Life is the be-all and end-all of alternate reality pictures. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. What if? Well, uh, entire, entire franchises have built, been built around what if. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stan Lee had a long-running successful comic book with the Marvel company called What If? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> not to mention the Superman franchise with their imaginary stories. Right, that's true. Yeah. But this is this is a, this is an imaginary story uh, of a uh, high caliber. It is a high caliber, and it's very interesting for film buffs to watch it because you'll see some people in it if you really watch closely, have with very small roles. That that it's that you really don't expect to see, and of course the the one that immediately comes to mind, the Three Stooges. Oh, you know the Three Stooges. I think that uh, I think so. Is, am I am I correct that that they signed uh, they signed uh, uh, with with MGM with Ted Healy when they were when it was Ted Healy Stooges? Did that's I right. on that, Michael? That's right. Ted Healy and his Stooges. And I think MGM was always trying to find things for the, maybe the Stooges to do. And this 33, I think, is pretty close to the time when the Stooges left Ted Healy and went out on their own. But they're hardly the Stooges here. As a matter of fact, they're billed kind of separately. And they're, they, they're wedding singers. Yes, what lovely voices, too. Yeah, Yeah. Once, once in a while, the Stooges would do a musical sequence in one of their own mm -hmm. formal Stooges pictures. But mm -hmm. to see, especially, especially what a lovely voice Larry Fine had. He did. That's the one you're right. That's exactly right. Doesn't he sing lead on By the Light of the Silvery Moon in this? Mm, I believe that's right. <laughs> it's just, it's pretty amazing to see them just kind of come out of nowhere. There's no knockabout. There's no slapstick. They're just essentially wedding singers at uh, Ted Healy's alternate reality. I'm sorry, not Ted Healy, at uh, at Lee Tracy's alternate reality wedding, <laughs> which is which is really interesting. Also, did you notice? Uh, did you catch Ed Wynn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. as a cigar store customer, definitely. And uh, also uh, a guy from one of my top five all-time favorite movies, Charlie Grapewin, who played oh. Grandpa in The Grapes of Wrath. Yes. Uh, also plays the small town doctor, Lee Tracy's small town doctor from his youth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, so if you're a film buff, those are worth seeing, but it's also, as you say, it's worth seeing because uh, It's a Wonderful Life is far, is far better known, but it's the same um, uh, really sentiment, isn't it? The same emotions. Yeah, yeah. What if I could change things and what would it change around me exactly and what a scary prospect that is i mean uh to some of us the greatest horror of all is estrangement and disorientation mm -hmm. and yes. there you go and it lets you know also that you don't live in a vacuum yeah 
you know, uh, Lee Tracy's character thinks it's just going to be great to be wealthy, but he doesn't know what the ramifications are as far as his wife uh, in his alternate reality, as far as the people he runs around with and all of that. Uh, when you when things when your circumstances change, uh, it doesn't just change you. Uh, it changes everything around you too. And I think that's an important thing. And also just, you know, and I know that a lot of people cynically will say, well, this is just this middle-class deal of, of, uh, you know, knowing your place, uh, a bourgeois fantasy of some sort about knowing your place, but it, it's, it's much more than that, isn't it? Oh dear. Much, much more. <laughs> It's, it's just a, it, it's a very textured and interesting and unusual picture. And I guess the only way to get it is from the Warner Brothers archives. It was an MGM picture. And Joey, that's where you got it, right? The Warner Brothers archives? I believe that's right. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Mm, limited editions are very welcome. And do they just, do they make those on, you know, when you order them? Is it that kind of a deal? Kind I believe of it's a print on demand. POD thing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, I would, I was really glad that you, uh, that you recommended this, Michael, because it was an interesting picture to me and a picture that I did not know. Always like Lee Tracy, because like you, I'm an old newspaper guy. Oh, yeah. I love those fast talking, cynical, sour newsroom guys, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but this, the, but this was, this is more than that as well. And it's, it's definitely, definitely worth a look. Well, before we talk about what we're going to be doing next time around, uh, why don't we tell the folks what uh, what you have uh, out there uh, for uh, purchase, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> sale or rent? The one that the one that's riding the highest these days uh, continually is the biography of Mantan Moreland, Mantan the Funny Man. Uh, yeah. I approached that. You talk about labor of love. Yeah. I approached that biography. 15, 20 years ago, uh, starting with a magazine article on who was this guy, Mantan Moreland, why should we be interested in his career as a comedian when very clearly he kind of dropped off the Hollywood radar uh, not too long after World War II. And uh, the obvious cause of, of his alienation from Hollywood uh, was just the tip of the iceberg, very shallow. Uh, but when I, by nearly by accident, chanced to meet Mantan's daughter, who had been a child star in old Hollywood, uh, everything started clicking and the, and the true story came out and uh, the book fell together, not effortlessly, certainly not that, but, but it all fell together in a kind of a natural course of events. And uh, couldn't be happier with the result. How did you meet her, Michael? Uh, accidental email connection with her daughter, Mantan's granddaughter, Tana mm -hmm. Young. Uh, wonder where that name Tana came from. Well, mm. uh, certainly not any mummy movies. I think it might be a shortening of Mantan. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, she uh, wrote, I was doing a web search about the Moreland name. And this thread came up where Tana Young, whom I hadn't met yet, uh, said, I really believe my grandfather was the first comedian to use the phrase, feats do your duty. 
-hmm. And wait a minute, wait a minute, Tana. Mm. And so I just impulsively dropped her a note and she said, how do you know my daddy? <laughs> how do you, how, oh, granddaddy. And uh, we hit it off and uh, turned out that her mother had uh, become kind of reclusive, uh, Marcella Moreland Young. Uh, and it turned out to be a result of uh, partly the NAACP blacklisting of Mantan for supposedly being too funny. Mm -hmm. um, he was doing Ebonics before it was fashionable. Um, and uh, later uh, she had been terribly stung by a Spike Lee picture called Bamboozled, which poked fun at her, at her father uh, in the 90s. Uh, once we overcame that reclusiveness, we uh, got to be very good friends. And uh, she basically, you know, we'd sit and converse for a couple of hours at a stretch. And, and I would always say, well, thank you for writing that chapter, ma'am. <laughs> uh, pretty amazing. And, and there it goes. But uh, no, still busy in the recording studio, just now finishing up a new uh, entry for the Dr. Demento show, which is um, well, Al Yankovic does parodies of modern day or current pop tunes. I tend to go back to uh, 50s and 60s rock standards and uh, just now finishing up a parody of a record by Freddie Cannon. Palisades Park? Yes. <laughs> yes. How did it? Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, the most ob obnoxious voice in rock. <laughs> until maybe until until maybe Rod Stewart, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ian Whitcomb was in there for a while too, I think. Ian Whitcomb was was uh, actually had a lovely singing voice. Yes, yeah. That he that he uh, uh, when he affected that uh, that uh, whiny mm -hmm. uh, vaudeville Cockney voice, uh, it was like this is pretty jarring. But he was he right. was a good, he was a good blues singer, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Lately deceased, terrible loss. Yeah, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know that, but I, I'll be very interested to hear that uh, hear that Freddie Cannon parody. Well, it's 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 not about falling in love at the top of a Ferris wheel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we should mention that the name of the Mantan Moreland book is Mantan the Funny Man. Oh yeah, and it's one of my favorite of of your books. I've read I don't know how many of your books, and you know we've collaborated on several books as well. But I uh, I really I really like that book a lot. That's a very good book, and mm -hmm. you deserve all the success that uh, that has come that way. And I have to say, I found out that uh, one of my nonfiction books called uh, 20th Century Honky Tonk that I wrote with uh, Brett Bingham about the Canes Ballroom, uh, the only place in America that was a home to Bob Wills and the um, one of the stops on the Sex Pistols Only American Tour. Yeah. Uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're getting orders, uh, I'm told, the publisher tells me, from Australia, from Britain, uh, and, uh, and a lot from, from around uh, here, bookstores uh, around uh, uh, the country. And it's, it's done very well. I just saw the first numbers on it, and it's, and it's really done well. And, and uh, the, all three books in the Cleansing Trilogy, the whole... Oh. The, the Pope, well, which you have helped, which you helped on, of course, uh, by giving us such nice flap copy, the Pope-oriented uh, Lovecraftian sort of um, uh, thing uh, that we did set in the 1930s, Robert and I did. There's three books, and they're all available now. 
uh, together. The cleansing, they're called uh, Seventh Sense, Satan's Swine, and Sinister Serpent. A lot of alliteration there, a lot of sibilance there. <laughs> and uh, that was intentional. So they're also out there online, or you can get them at your, uh, any of those books at your, uh, at your favorite bookstore. And we, we encourage you, in fact, to uh, order things from your favorite bookstore, especially in, in these strange times when uh, local businesses could certainly, could certainly use yours. Mm -hmm. So I think, and speaking of Mantan Moreland, next time around, was it Mantan's last film that we're going to be doing? It was nearly his last film. I think he had <laughs> one or two more to go after this one, but... Uh, this was his. This was really a tiny, but emphatic showcase role for Mantan in the picture you're about to announce. It was, and I I was reintroduced to this picture by Jimmy Carstein, my friend Jim Carstein, who is the uh, was the drummer for for uh, Gary Lewis and the Playboys and 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 JJ Kale for quite some time, and and he loves low budget horror pictures, and he sent me a CD that had. Uh, spider baby on it and i had not seen spider baby since the 70s and i looked at it and it is a pretty good little picture it's very disturbing in many ways but it's very well done and lon cheney uh this may be uh the last really good performance that lon cheney jr uh put on celluloid yeah nice and we'll talk about it next week uh, I think, Joey, is there anything, any more housekeeping we need to deal with before we say adios, except to say, once again, thanks to everybody. We really, we're getting a lot of people listening mm. to these podcasts, and we really do appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, join the Forgotten Horrors Facebook group on uh, on Facebook. <laughs> it's free? It's free. Just like these, just like these uh, podcasts are free. How do we do it, folks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please do that, and please join us next time around. And if you're you're new to the podcast, we've got what? How many years of these damn things that we've been doing? And we have so much uh, fun doing them that it doesn't right. feel like uh, any time at all. Is time flies when you're having fun, as the cliche goes. So, uh, thank you all very much, Michael and Joey. Thank you, and uh, and we'll we'll see everybody next time around. We'll see you. Yeah.